Everything here appears calculated to inspire kind and happy feelings. Welcome to another special episode of Physical Media Isn't Dead, It Just Smells Funny. On today's installment of Physical Media Isn't Dead, It Just Smells Funny, if you're just tuning in, I've decided to break up my usual monthly roundup of reviews into daily episodes just because I have so many movies to cover, and today I'm going to talk about the releases from what I'm going to call the uh, MVD Entertainment Group umbrella. Back in May, when I had started approaching places like Arrow Video and Severin to possibly get them included into my roundups, uh, they were happy to and very responsive to do so, but unfortunately there were some mailing incidents, so I didn't get things until a little bit later, and they eventually just sent them to me, which they did not have to do at all. So there's some titles from May that I didn't get to cover, but then there is a title from July that I'm very excited to talk about. But I figured I'd start with the May titles. And so first up in this MVD Entertainment Group <laughs> review of Physical Media Isn't Dead, It Just Smells Funny, I would like to talk about the May released film, the 1975 film by director Jack Hill, best known for films Spider Baby and Coffee, Switchblade Sisters. Switchblade Sisters, as I said, is a 1975 film by director Jack Hill. It is an exploitation film about gang called the Silver Daggers, but they have their own, I guess you would call, spin-off gang of, of young women named uh, the Dagger Debs, who are in high school. They, uh, in one scene, it almost seems like they're the peacekeepers within this high school, but these are not virtuous characters. It's an exploitation film. What the story is essentially that there's a new girl in town who joins the gang and proves herself worthy of the gang after an altercation breaks out and they end up in juvie and the leader of the gang can't be released from juvie and so the new girl Maggie kind of assumes the place as the leader of the gang and from there drama spirals out, action spirals out and what this movie becomes is a movie about power struggles and things like that and like gang versus gang warfare uh, as a matter of fact i think one of the alternate titles for this movie when it was uh they were trying to come up with things for it which titles include the jezebels maggie stiletto sisters but the one that kind of gets the whole exploitation gang thing across is that it was going to be called the warriors 2 las navaneras i think is how you would say it but yeah you may have heard of this film because this is one of the films ugh, which i bring i bring up a lot on this podcast i don't really mean to all the time quinn tarantino as his one along with you know things like chunking express and uh the protector was on his line of exploitation and like martial arts and like just underseen international films that like he was really pushing in like the 90s and i'd heard of it obviously i had followed the blogs as far as like uh, where references for certain quentin tarantino movies come from and this one obviously popped up if not at least uh for the gang member who has an eye patch with a butterfly on it. I know Daryl Hannah's character in Kill Bill is inspired by lots of different things. I think there's a movie called They Call Her One Eye that she, I think, is inspired by. I think uh, there are actors who are in Kill Bill that are in this movie. So needless to say, this is a film that has been thrust into the zeitgeist by people like Quentin Tarantino and people who love cult movies and exploitation movies. 
And it also has kind of been thrust into the like, this is gonna sound like an oxymoron, the uh, niche zeitgeist of podcasting uh, that film critic and writer and filmmaker April Wolf had a great podcast called Switchblade Sisters to bring up as one of her favorite films and like why she named the podcast after it. You should go listen to it. It's ended, but it's a good podcast. I learned a lot from that podcast. It's her interviewing uh, female filmmakers about their favorite films, specifically genre films. Yes, this movie, rules i don't know why there aren't like five switchblade sisters movies it, i mean i know why there was a big flop which is originally they wanted to call it jezebels but they like they felt like it would be too confused with the betty davis movie the word i guess wasn't as widely used as it was as it is or recognized today but for whatever reason, watching this movie, all I could think about was that this is such a good premise, especially where the movie ends. And I guess I won't spoil the movie because it seems like a movie that a lot of people haven't seen. But it's kind of about like breaking away from, you know, this like structure that you have kind of been forced into and making something that's like cool and for yourself and on your own and striking out and getting out of these like oppressive systems. But it's an exploitation movie, so the way those thoughts are conveyed are not subtle and not in the least palatable. I would say that I would give a trigger and content warning for this film. There are two rape scenes in this movie, as well as like implied sexual assault. At one point, they're in juvenile hall, and the warden is like heavily implied to like, you know, new girls have to trade sexual favors for their own safety. But if you are into the exploitation genre and things like those trappings don't bother you and you can get into the charm of the filmmaking on display because to me this is actually legitimately well-made film for what it is like it's got a great soundtrack by leslie baxter who's credited as medusa in this movie it seems based on their filmography they weren't known for this type of like funky fusiony 1970s like it's a it's a good soundtrack and there's some genuinely thrilling sequences in this movie the roller rink sequence is like an all-timer but even past that like the way these characters bounce off of each other the fact that it is kind of echoing Othello which I have learned uh, apparently the woman with one eye like with the eye patch is heavily inspired by Iago and Othello and I definitely see where the movie is taking inspiration from <laughs> from Othello I mentioned the you know Quentin Tarantino released this on his own line the era release of this movie is like bar none incredible like you are in for a treat if you buy this there are multiple interviews multiple retrospective archival documentaries about the making of this film. There are three written pieces in the booklet that comes with the limited edition version of this film, two of which are by writer Alexandra Heller-Nicholas, who does an interview with Jack Hill, as well as an analysis on the two aforementioned sexual assault scenes and, you know, how they play out with expectations and against expectations and how those color the film for her, as well as kind of an essay about the film written by writer Heather Drain. If you are at all interested in exploitation and you want something that's colorful, got a great soundtrack, has been repped by the foremost <laughs> uh, cult enthusiasts around the world, then you cannot go wrong with Switchblade Sisters, which is available from Arrow Video. Next up, we have our next release, this time from Severin, Alejandro Jodorowsky's Santa Sangre. Alejandro Jodorowsky, 
the man, the myth, the legend. I don't know what more could be said. If you want my extended, I don't even know if I would say they're my thoughts, but if you'd like, you know, for more comprehensive look at Alejandro Jodorowsky, I did write about him in the production of Holy Mountain a few years ago on the IU Cinema blog. It's very easy to find, but it's probably pretty clear that I'm a big fan of Alejandro Jodorowsky. All the legends that's, that's been built up around him, the lies he's told about himself, all those things, I still stand by that I don't think he's an artistic charlatan, as some people will point out about his work. To be an artistic charlatan, you would have to make much, much, much lamer movies than what this man makes. But the movie we're here to talk about today is Santa Sangre. Actually, I hate to say it, but the one of the last of what I guess people would consider like great films by him. If you are not familiar with his filmography, he's taken a lot of, his career has taken a lot of forms. He started uh, a whole branch of experimental theater. He was a cartoonist and a comic writer, st still is to this very day. And he made a movie called Fondo Elise, which takes from that experimental theater that he helped create and expanded that into El Topo, which then became the Holy Mountain, which to me is one of the great artistic achievements of the 20th century. And then there's obviously the whole saga with Dune, which he never got to make, which is very much covered in the Jodorowsky's Dune documentary. But I bring up that period specifically because during that period, he essentially retired from filmmaking because of his experience trying to make Dune. And he only really made one film. It was a, you would call it like a children's fable. It was called Tusk. I have not seen this movie into completion because the only way I was able to track it down years and years ago was like a half-finished, uh, torrented rip. So I really hope someone uh, puts out Tusk in his other film, uh, The Rainbow Thief, that I don't really hear many people talk about in the future. It essentially retired from filmmaking in Claudio Argento, uh, a relative of Dario Argento. There was material that he had been approached with that he thought that there would need to be the right voice to carry this material out, and then the person that came up was Alejandro Jodorowsky, who he himself had some like tenuous connections with the type of material that he would be making in this movie. But what the movie is, is about a man who has been in an insane asylum since he was a child because of some trauma that he experienced and the way he lashed out from this trauma, you know, manifested violently and he ended up in a mental institution. And that is birthed out of the writer Roberto Leone having worked in a psychiatric hospital and then as well as Jodorowsky himself coming into contact with one of the more famous <laughs> serial killers in Mexican history, uh, Gregorio Carnetas Hernandez, uh, who murdered, I think, three or four people, and then he was institutionalized, and actually, by his account, and was released, that he had been rehabilitated, that he had essentially committed these murders, not a fugue state, but I don't, I don't know what you would call it, but he, he felt as if something had passed through him and that he was done. So inspired by those things and those chance encounters, this is not about him or him in particular, but that is what this is kind of inspired by. And with every Jodorowsky movie, there's deep levels of spirituality and mysticism. The man is very much into the tarot. There's a lot of Catholic imagery in this. I mean, the 
movie translates out to holy blood or saint blood and it digs deep down into the like trauma inflicted on this young child who is essentially a carny and the things that they have experienced and have to endure that like fester in their minds and cause them to do all these certain things and Jodorowsky in his own way I know we just talked about an exploitation film has been labeled kind of as an exploitation director but you know one that uses high visual art to convey his themes and moods which isn't really a knock or criticism in my opinion he seems very enthusiastic to engage with what he is trying to get across in the only way he knows how he's a very theatrical person i jokingly call him one of the uh, three great circus directors along with tim burton and federico fellini and this movie is very much a circus movie the not just the setting of it but just how i mean with every jodorowsky movie there's dance on display there's theater on display there's visual art on display there's there's mime there's clowns you know he plays with every material that he can possibly play with to create as I mentioned uh, in my review yesterday about Andrzej Zulowski just creates these films that seem as if they don't exist in our realm of reality and uh, he himself when you listen to him speak doesn't seem like he exists on our realm of reality but having watched this movie, what I find so interesting and fascinating about it is that there are clear other influences on this film. I, when I watch El Topo and Holy Mountain and even his later movies like Endless Poetry and Dance of Reality, you know, Fondo Elise, I, they, they are so specifically him. And what I'm going to say is also not an awkward criticism. I just find it fascinating. It seems as if, and, and this could be me just seeing the name Argento in the credits, obviously knowing it's not Dario Argento, but someone who has worked with Dario Argento, it feels as if he has been heavily inspired by not only Giallo uh, with the Argento connection, but it seems like he's been inspired, and I and I truly, not to sound like a person who's only seen Boss Baby, this movie has Boss ba Baby vibes, I promise this is not that. It really does feel like at this point, because this movie from 1989 and Blue Velvet has made such a like impact on the world at this point, it feels as if he is in being influenced by David Lynch with this movie. So even with that, that in mind, like it's a fascinating movie to watch if you're a big Alejandro Jodorowsky fan, if you've never seen it before, if you're really just familiar with El Topo and The Holy Mountain, to see him be influenced by other things and like the techniques that he uses. Like there's a murder of somebody in this movie that like could have been straight out of the movie Deep Red. It was crazy to watch. As far as the movie, I love it as much as I can say I love every Alejandro Jodorowsky movie I watch. It's also a lot easier to hang on to. Like I can I can actually gra like grasp and feel the pain of like the characters. Like the characters feel like more like real people in this movie and maybe that just has to do with maturity or his time away. Whatever many reasons that we could analyze. But as far as this release is concerned, usually I would try to like, I'd list the, the special features. There is over eight hours of archival uh, footage of new footage of new interviews of behind the scenes it is an incredibly packed release this is the special edition release is what i have gotten which comes with a 4k blu-ray a blu-ray that has just the feature film on it with audio commentaries specifically one with alejandro jodorowsky there is a completely new filmed featurette called new blood and then there's a complete other third disc that is just nothing but special features and documentaries and interviews and 
Q&As and it's just, it's a lot. Uh, there's also a fourth disc that has a soundtrack on it. I would say if you have the money for this release, like this is the definitive release of Santa Sangre. Like, I don't know if there'll be something else that like mines as many like people involved with the project. Like all cards on the table, like I didn't even get through every special feature, but I was engrossed with every single one that I got to see. So if it so interests you, you can check out Santa Sangre, Holy Blood from Severin Films. And for our final film in the MVD Entertainment Group roundup, and also I would say my pick of the month from this group of films, we have the 1981 Lovecraftian treat, Dead and Buried. From the creators of Alien, terror brought down to Earth. Fear so intense it will stay with you to the grave and beyond. Welcome to Potter's Bluff. Two murders, Dobbs. Both strangers. Two murders in a town no bigger than a postage stamp. When you die in Potter's Bluff, expect the unexpected. I just lie still. I'm gonna give you something. It's gonna make you feel even better. whatsoever to reanimate people after they have died. Oh, so lovely. So frail. So young. How could anyone mar such loveliness? Here, I will make you beautiful again. Dead and Buried is a movie directed by Gary A. Sherman, who may be best known for, I guess, for this movie and Poltergeist 3. Uh, but interestingly enough, I would say the biggest creative voice behind this movie could quite possibly be writer Dan O'Bannon, who you probably know from Return of the Living Dead, but probably most importantly, uh, his work with Jodorowsky's failed Dune project. No, I'm joking. His, we know him from Alien. That's what we know Dan O'Bannon from. This is a film that I had seen so, like, I would say like three or four times over the last, like, 10 years just because I do like Lovecraftian stories, but like people really tend to focus on the like eldritch horror aspect of it, of like tentacle monsters and incomprehensible beings and you know, all those things. When some of the best H.P. Lovecraft stories are the ones about towns that are weird and bad and strange and the dummy who kind of stumbles into town <laughs> to try to figure out what's going on. And that's what Dead and Buried is. This is a film essentially about there's been a grisly murder committed and it's up to this uh, the local sheriff Dan Gillis who's played by uh, actor James Farentino investigating how this murder happened but also just kind of getting deeper and deeper into like the unsettling strangeness of this town. Uh, he is assisted by an eccentric coroner uh, who loves 
old swing music that drones throughout the film. There's actually a great featurette about composer John Renzetti talking about the process of making the old-timey swing music that he developed for this character. Uh, you know, is obsessed with his job as coroner and like takes an artistic pride into like the cadavers he uh, works on, which he should because there's like, you know, the, the effects in this movie were done by the great Stan Winston, you know, one of the masters of practical horror effects, and there's like a whole sequence in this movie where uh, essentially a corpse is like turned back into the woman that the corpse was like it was it's like a reverse time lapse it's it's hard to explain but it's really cool thing to see someone like do on film especially like at a time when like you don't get like that's a labor of love to do an effect like that because just now you would have like two or three cg artists knock it out and like like a couple of days this is probably something that took weeks if not months to do but yeah there's not really much of the plot outside of that i mean if you've read an hp lovecraft story about someone going into a town or a village where things seem off and there's cult-like behavior you know where this uh movie is going in the broad sense you might not know where it's going in the specific sense but it's an unsettling movie and i mentioned this coroner because while dan gillis the sheriff james Ferentino, is technically the lead character's movie the coroner is played by jack albertson who you very much know as grandpa joe from charlie and the chocolate Factory. i mean willy wonka and the chocolate factory as well as uh the poseidon adventure he is i don't know who was nominated for like the 1982 academy awards but like this this is like a best support supporting actor role like the man is making a meal of it which i always enjoy I love this movie so much, like I said, I think it's one of the underrated films in the like HP Lovecraft infused genre, Dan O'Bannon proving himself to be one of the like best HP Lovecraft enthused, like I don't know, someone who made work inspired by HP Lovecraft that could stand on its own merits and exuded those traits in ways that I feel like a lot, a lot of other films don't. Like pretty much him and John Carpenter I feel like we're the best at it, so maybe I should finally get around to checking out Dark Star. But <laughs> yes, Dead and Buried, this is a really Released from Blue Underground, uh, this is a much like Santa Sangre, incredibly dense special features package. It's a 4K, it is a Blu-ray, it comes with the soundtrack on a separate disc. As far as the special features, I watched through all of them. Some of them seem like they're from like a, an old, I think, Anchor Bay release, but there's so many new ones. There's four commentaries, there's a fourth new commentary on the disc. There's a behind the scenes. There's a like archival, like look at the locations that, uh, then and now. There's archival footage that has commentary by like the crew who worked on the film, just being like, oh man, remember that? And like seeing themselves as they're younger, which is charming in its own right. As well as, like I said, there's a special feature with composer uh, Joe Renzetti that someone who likes getting to the weeds about like composing music and like especially for film uh, very much enjoyed and then from there just interviews with people like Stan Winston Robert England uh, a pre Nightmare on Elm Street Robert England in this movie doesn't really have many lines or any at all if I can remember honestly but like when you see him he pops out and you're like whoa Robert England um <laughs> you know as well as an interview with Dan O'Bannon it's just it feels like like the final word on like a movie like this as far as what's included in the package so if you are at all interested in a really cool horror movie that you probably haven't seen i would very much recommend dead and buried from blue underground
And with that, that's going to do it for this day's <laughs> episode of Physical Media that just smells funny. I will be back either tomorrow or the day after with the film Rancho Deluxe from our friends at Fun City Editions. Uh, I'm very excited to talk about that one. But yeah, I'll see you at the movies. Good night.